Well, I'm, I'm Chris Meyer, and sometimes I get to fill in for Dan when he is not around. So uh, you got me this morning, and it's a privilege to be here and to, to bring the word to you. Got some great stuff to think about this morning, uh, some wonderful passages that I think are going to speak to all of us while we are in the middle of such crazy times. I mean, uh, me trying to sort out all my hardware was just a little picture of kind of what life is like these days. And we need refreshment in our God, we need refreshment in the Spirit, and I'm hopeful that as we look at the Word this morning that that's gonna be true for you, that that's gonna happen for you today. We're living in really weird times, uh, and we've all experiencing things that we've never experienced before. I've said many times in the last six months that I can't remember in my lifetime anything that's really quite like this. There's a level of uncertainty about many basic elements of our lives that has left many of us feeling tense, anxious. I'm kind of anxious this morning, but it's not so much about the pandemic, it's more about being up here. I don't do this kind of thing that much. I had to laugh as I was preparing my notes for this morning. See, I was supposed to give this sermon two weeks ago. And a few days before that Sunday, Annie got sick. And so she went and got a COVID test because it was recommended. And so the thing about getting a COVID test is that after you get one, then your whole house is quarantined until you get the test results. And so three days before I was supposed to be up here doing this right now. I had to call around to Dylan and others, and Dylan was the one who was able to step up and, and take the sermon. It's just an example of how uncertain our times are. The other thing I had in my notes uh, from two weeks ago was thinking about how we don't know what school's going to look like in the fall for our kids and for us. And since then, the plan was unveiled. And since then, the plan was changed. <laughs> so, yeah, we, I don't know what we've got, like uncertainty sort of squared or exponential uncertainty. Our social routines have been upset. The economy is in trouble. Vacations have been canceled. People have lost jobs. Businesses have closed. People have been laid off. People are working from home sometimes to the chagrin of all the other people who are at home and who aren't used to having that person around so much. <laughs> I'm sure that's not happening in any of your households, but it was a little weird being around the house all the time at my household. Our personal bubbles have been expanded to two meters. <laughs> we don't touch one another like we used to. We're learning to recognize one another from the bridge of our noses up. And I was thinking this morning as I was looking at these little kids and these little kids were looking up at me and I was thinking, how do you smile at a little kid with just your eyebrows? So we're, we're all figuring out new things. Births and weddings and funerals do not look like they used to, unless of course you elope. The future, which has always contained mystery, seems even more uncertain than usual. And these and many other effects that I haven't mentioned have been ours to try to adjust to in recent months. In a word, we are uncomfortable. 
This was not an unfamiliar situation for the Apostle Paul and for many New Testament believers. When Paul was writing to the church in Corinth and offering a defense of his ministry, he summarized what he had been going through like this. Now, some of what he's going to say is a little bit, may seem a little bit odd. You'd have to read it in its larger context and understand how he was trying to defend himself uh, and his ministry to the Corinthian church. But bear with me here. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Well, Paul certainly did not experience much in the way of physical comfort in his life as a follower of Jesus. And in fact, there were other things that he likely left out. It seems unlikely to me that anyone who had been beaten and stoned and left for dead would have escaped without chronic pain from the repeated injuries. Make sense? Did, but did you ever think about that? I mean, the guy probably had head injuries and, and all kind of broken bones, torn up ligaments and stuff. I mean, the guy must have been a wreck. Physical discomfort. How many of you have experienced chronic pain like that? You know that physical comfort can be hard to come by. But while Paul had an abundance of trouble and discomfort and uncertainty, he also describes an abundance of something else. But before we take a look at that, uh, join me in a, in a short prayer for this morning. God, we come to you this morning, we come to you in the middle of all the strangeness of these days. We come to you in the midst of our cares and our concerns and our stresses. What we want more than anything this morning is to hear from you, God. We pray that as we look into your word that you will be at work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit in all the ways that you know that we need today. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so if you have a Bible and you're going to follow along that way, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 7. And I apologize to you if, I, these are probably in ESV, right, up on the screen? Guessing, somebody give me a head yes or no. English Standard Version. Okay, thanks for that response. Um, I'm reading on my notes out of the New American Standard Bible and it is really close to the ESV most of the time. If there's a 
problem with the translation and you have an issue with it, then uh, let me suggest you call D.A. Carson and send your questions off to him. 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope, is, our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. That is quite a statement from the guy who had been through all of the stuff that we were just describing a couple of minutes ago. And in addition to those things, we know that he had something else that tormented him. In chapter 12 of this same letter, 2 Corinthians, Paul describes having had some pretty amazing visions. He goes on to describe uh, what, what happened or what he needed, what God determined that he needed because of these great visions that he had had. He says in verse seven, Second uh, uh, Corinthians 12, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, uh, uh, paraphrase, to keep me from getting a fat head, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now we don't know what a thorn in the flesh was, there's all kinds of speculation about it, but we really don't know anything for sure. Some people think it was an eyesight thing, I, I don't know, I, I wonder if it wasn't some of the after effects of all of the physical violence that he had suffered. We do know that whatever it was, it tormented him. We know that he was uncomfortable with it. We also know that it was purposeful. This was something that God intended for him to have because he needed it to protect him from a worse outcome. The worse outcome would have been he got a fat head because that would have messed up a lot of things. Paul was uncomfortable, but he says in chapter one that he has been comforted by the God of all comfort and comforted in abundance. So what comes to your mind when you think about being comforted? You think about being like somebody hugging you or, or touching you in some way? Or maybe you think about uh, your dog or your cat sitting on your lap. You know, fuzzy, fuzzy, warm breathing things. They're really good for us. They, they are comforting. I mean, it, it, your blood pressure goes down when you pet them. It's pretty cool. 
Maybe you think about a quart of Ben and Jerry's. Like for me, that would be uh, Cherry Garcia. <laughs> oh man, so good. How about a plate of lasagna? Bag of chips? Right, you fill in the blank, right? Because you've got all your own. I'm watching your faces, and even when I can't see below the bridge of your nose, I can still see that you're all registering with this. These comforts, these things, we do these things because they, they make us feel better for a while. And nothing wrong with Cherry Garcia, except maybe the container's too small. But the comfort that I get from that is very short term. And as I'm sure some of you would remind me, I may actually feel worse later. <laughs> Depends on how much of it I go through. The same is true for Netflix binges, social media, marathons, any of the other things that we might do for comfort. Sometimes the things we turn to for comfort have very limited help and they have very serious after effects. It might be the, the, the bottle of, of Jack that you hang out with, or it could be your favorite casino. They will take your mind off things for a while, but then they pay you back later in all kinds of other ways. We want to be comforted. We don't always know the best way to do it. What does Paul mean when he speaks of being comforted by God. What does this comfort look like? How do we receive this? That's what I really want to spend some time talking about this morning with you. So, let's see if we could get the first Corinthians, uh, second Corinthians chapter one passage back up there for a second. What you notice about this passage is that the word for comfort is used a lot, you know, like 10 times in five verses. There's both noun forms and verb forms of the same word used here, but the meaning is the same across the different forms. So I want to do just a really short word study with you uh, on this word. It's the most frequently word, used word in the New Testament for comfort, and the word is parakaleo. So parakaleo is a compound word. Uh, it's made up of two parts. Para, which means beside, and kaleo, which means to call. So literally this word means to call alongside. Sort of like if I were to call out to my, my son Abdi in the, in the audience and say, Abdi, come up here. And he only like came over here. I'd say, no, 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 come up here. And he got onto the stage and I'd say, no, no, man, come like right here, okay? Come here calling him alongside me. Where I want him is like right here, okay? Parakaleo, to call alongside. Now this is a really interesting word because it gets translated about four different ways in the New Testament. It, mean, it can mean literally, like I just demonstrated, to call alongside, uh, stand here. It can mean to appeal to or urge uh, and it's commonly translated exhort. It can mean to request, to implore, or entreat, which is most commonly translated beseech, if you have an older translation. And it can mean to comfort, encourage, or cheer up. So those, those are four pretty different ways of translating the same word. So what do you do if you're a Bible translator <laughs> and you see parakaleo? 
right? You have to look at the context, and the context will generally tell you what to do with it. For instance, exhorting is generally a forward-looking thing. You're encouraging someone to do something that is in the future. And comfort is generally about something that's already taken place. It's, a, it's kind of a looking back, or maybe something that's going on currently. And requests or beseeching generally has a specific object. There's a little bit of overlap between beseeching and exhorting, so it's, it's not hard and fast, but you get the idea here that the context will usually tell the translators what it is that's going on. Parakaleo is the most common word in the Bible for exhort, the most common word for comfort, and it's the most common word for beseech. So it comes up a great deal. So when you look at all of the places in the New Testament that, that this word is used, you get the feeling that it's almost always a kind of, it has this, like this closeness to it, or this intensity. When you call somebody alongside, when you get that close to somebody, like, like we can't do that right now, or I, I would demonstrate, but when you do that, you're, it's because there's something important. There's something you want to say. There's something powerful that's about to take place. It's up close and personal. Think about it. When you want to comfort somebody, do you comfort them from across the room? You don't do that, right? Hey, Bill, I'm hoping you feel a lot better, man. I'm really sorry for what you're going through back there. You just wouldn't do that. I mean, if you were wanting to really comfort somebody, you would bring them on board. You would say, come here. Or you would go to them. But you would do it up close. You would do it personal. Um, Those of you who are parents, when you are really trying to get a message across to your kids, let's say you're trying to exhort them in a particular direction, do you do it from upstairs? Do you do it by text? Well, maybe you do, but it's, uh, that's not, not really the best way. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck if you're right down there on their level, make an eye contact. You know, you're right there. You can reach out and touch them. You can deliver that message a lot better. And if you were going to beseech someone, if you're going to make a really important request, you're not going to do that from a distance either. You want to be right up there. You want to see their eyeballs. You want to be able to say, here's my request. Will you please respond to this? So this coming alongside is a great picture here of God and the way that he expresses his comfort to us. So all this got me wondering about what kinds of examples I could find in the scripture to illustrate how does God actually comfort us. We know that he comes alongside. That's right in the very root of the word. But then what? You know, what, what, else, what else is true about how God comforts us? And, and the first passage that really occurred to me about, uh, in this regard was uh, the final discourse of Jesus, what's sometimes called the final discourse, in John chapters 13 through 17. It is a great study. Uh, I hardly recommend you read this from time to time because it's just so powerful. It's so comforting. If you want to feel like you're sitting in the room with Jesus and he is talking to you about what's going on with your life, read John 13, 13 through 17. It has that flavor. It's always been a favorite of mine because 
it's so personal. And, and you, you get that sense when you're reading through it. So to set the scene a little bit for this final discourse, the disciples have entered Jerusalem with Jesus for the Passover feast. And they know that there's a plot to kill Jesus and they believe that they could be killed with him. Uh, in fact, uh, just before they had gone to Jerusalem, they went to Bethany. And when they were getting ready to go to Bethany, uh, they knew about this plot to kill Jesus. And Thomas says, well, let us go also so that we may die with him. <laughs> Not exactly the most optimistic view of the future, huh? I, I guess we'll all just go with him and get martyred. But that tells you something about maybe the mood that was present with the disciples as they were going into Jerusalem and preparing for this final Passover. Jesus had repeatedly warned them that he was going to be betrayed, condemned, and crucified. So when Jesus predicts his betrayal uh, in Matthew 26, Matthew writes that the disciples are deeply grieved. So they're taking him seriously. He goes on to tell them in chapter 13 of John, you will all fall away because of me this night. Yeah, it's like if I didn't already have stuff to feel discouraged about, now I get this. I'm guessing this was not exactly a cheery group. John chapters 14 through 17 take place during or after the Passover meal and before Jesus goes to Gethsemane. And in this final discourse of Jesus, he comforts his disciples in a variety of ways. And we're not gonna be able to look at all of those today. I picked a few of my favorites and, and we're gonna kind of camp on those. But I would encourage you, read through those chapters in John. It's fantastic stuff. John chapter 14, verses one through three. Jesus says to these disciples who have had all of these grim predictions, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The first thing Jesus says to them, to comfort them, is that this physical absence from them is gonna be temporary. They're gonna be with him and he is gonna be with them. So as bad as this time may seem, take heart because I am going to be with you and you are gonna be with me and that's how it's gonna be. The presence of God with us winds up being a fairly central theme in the Bible for comfort if you look at it and we're gonna look at it just briefly. Uh, Deuteronomy 31, verses six through eight. Moses is speaking to Joshua and he's speaking to the people. He's 120 years old. He's not gonna go into the promised land. He's getting ready to die. And he is handing things off, basically. He's telling Joshua, all right, buddy, it's yours. Here's the baton, go for it. Moses says to the people, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, all those people in the promised land who probably aren't gonna be happy to give you their land. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him, in sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. 
For you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Presence of God is the source of comfort. It's not just his presence, because like, you know, you could have somebody around you and not be totally alone, but that wouldn't necessarily be comforting. Like, like if you were trapped in an elevator with somebody who didn't have uh, a clue about how to fix anything, that person's presence is not gonna be very helpful. But if you happen to get trapped in an elevator with MacGyver, like, you're good. And you know you're good. You're gonna, you're gonna be relaxed. You're gonna be like, oh man, what's he gonna do next? Because, you know, he can take a Swiss Army knife and, you know, build a, an airplane out of it. So I know we're going to be okay. The reason why the presence of God is comforting is not just because we are not alone. It is also because he is able and he knows what we need and he knows what to do. You see this again in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why not? For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, your protection and your guidance, they comfort me. We have a loving and caring shepherd who is with us and who is able, who is capable. You see this again in the New Testament in the last words of Jesus to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He tells his, his new church, without saying it in so many words, no matter what happens, I am with you always. No matter what happens with the Romans and no matter what happens with the tension with you know, the Judaizers, no matter what happens, I am with you. It just harkens back to Moses talking to Joshua. I am never gonna, you know, God is with you and he is never gonna leave you or forsake you. That is amazing stuff. That is solid comfort. So whether you're Joshua being left by Moses and facing really scary times, or whether you're David in the valley of the shadow of death, or the disciples being left by Jesus, the message of comfort is that he is with us always. Now Jesus is gonna build on this theme in the final discourse. So if we go back to John 14, Jesus says that his, his leaving is actually good for the disciples, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but he says it might, it's actually a good thing that I go away because the Father is gonna give to you another helper uh, that he may be with you forever. And so let's take a look at John 14, 16, and 17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Holy Spirit, sorry, that is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. This is taking presence to the next level. The Holy Spirit 
is with us, but he is going to be in us. And that's what we see happening with Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descends and the ball game is a little bit different after that. We have this presence residing inside of us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit whom we have from God. No matter what you are going through today, no matter where you are, the Holy Spirit is inside your physical body. Does that, I, I don't know what that does to your mind, but that kind of blows my mind. I, I, my brain starts smoking a little bit when I think about this. Your physical body, the Holy Spirit is inside you, John, in your body. That's, that's kind of nuts, but it's amazing. I mean, it takes, it takes this cl- idea of closeness. It would be like, I don't know, this is like the Matrix or something, but like if I had called Opti up here and he was standing beside me, and then suddenly there was like a... And, and, and he's in me? How close can you get? I've got a Golden Retriever Springer mix at home, and she, she would crawl inside my skin if she could. Because <laughs> she wants to be as close as humanly, physically possible to you, to us. The Holy Spirit is inside your physical body. Man, that, that's, that's like... That's worth meditating on today. If you, if you don't think about anything else, God is, is so close to you that, he, that he's that close. That you, that, I don't know. Smoke, starting to smoke. Let's talk for a minute about the word helper. Uh, it's actually a derivative of parakaleo, that calling alongside. Helper is, the word is parakletos, and it means one who is called alongside. And it is translated sometimes helper. It's translated sometimes comforter. And it is translated sometimes as advocate. And this is a term that was also used to describe an attorney or a representative that would help someone in court. So this is that helping, comforting, assisting person who's going to come right alongside you and help take care of whatever it is that needs to be taken care of. Notice that Jesus says that the Father is going to send another helper, comforter, advocate, meaning that he himself is the first one. I never caught this. I don't know how many times I've read through this, and that never really clicked. You know, when, when you talk about parakletos or the helper or the comforter, I mean, who would you think of, right? You'd think of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody ever talk about the fact that Jesus was the first helper, comforter, advocate? He's right, it's right there. The Father will give you another helper, comforter, advocate. Now, this isn't the only place that this comes up because if you look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we have this used again. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins... Guess what? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a parakletos. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So the next time you think about the Holy Spirit being the comforter, the helper, just remember he's number two. That Jesus is our first comforter, helper, advocate. 
But John 14 reassures the disciples that God is always going to be with them as a helper, a comforter, and an advocate. In the bodily absence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to be that for us. It's amazing. Let, let's, let's look a little bit further into the final discourse. Turn into John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. There's a great picture here. I can remember as a teenage Christian, new Christian uh, in high school, just thinking about this, this picture in, of the, the vine and the branches. And it meant so much to me at the time. It was a great thing to hang on to. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's an awesome picture of connection. We have this theme again of Jesus being with us. We are the branches. This intimate, this powerful, intimate connection. How, how would you even split it off? I mean, there's a line somewhere where the branch stops and the, and the, vine, or the vine stops and the branch begins, but how do you actually, can you actually like decide where that is exactly? We have been united with Christ, the scripture teaches. We are, it's, this, it's a close connection. It's a powerful connection. His life flows through us. That's why we bear fruit, because his life is flowing through us. The father is the vine dresser. He prunes and tends the vines purposefully so that they may bear more fruit. I don't mind pruning. I kind of like pruning. It's creative. It's, it's fun. And if you do it right and it works, then that's cool too because you get more fruit. I don't much like being pruned. <laughs> but, I, but pruning is pretty cool. It is purposeful. When your life feels like it's getting pruned, as it might during this time. Think about the purposefulness of God in your trials and what you go through. It's not random. It's not accidental. He did not fall asleep at the wheel. He did not say, oops. Your trials and your, your tribulations, he will take and make purposeful so that you will bear more fruit, so that you will look more like him. God is with us. He is engaged. He is purposeful. But he is more than just that. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples in verse 12 of John 15 that he has the greatest love for them, enough to lay down his life. That's amazing. So this, this God who is present and engaged and purposeful has the greatest conceivable love for you. So what he's doing purposefully while he is with you and engaged with you is loving. It has your best interest in mind. 
There's a lot more in the final discourse that's very comforting, but we just don't have time to go through it all this morning. Like I said earlier, read through the section. It's fantastic. When you think of being comforted by someone, my guess is that there are, are some people who come to your mind as being particularly good at it. Or like if you wanted to be comforted because you were hurting, there are some people who would pop into your head to maybe pick up the phone and call. These are people who know how to be with people who are in pain. They don't say some of the unhelpful things that some of us are prone to say. <laughs> you know how easy it is to say those things? Because we don't want them to keep feeling that way. We want them to feel better. But sometimes we don't always know the best thing to, to say or do. But some people are really good at it. They know when to let you talk and they know when that you might need to hear a good word. Now, they're usually people who have suffered themselves. That's partly how they know so well how to be with people who are in pain. Jesus is described in Hebrews chapters 2 and 4 as just this sort of person. And so I want to take a couple of minutes and look at a couple of passages from Hebrews with you. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. This is a section that's talking about Jesus as our high priest. And, and again, I would encourage you to read 2, 3, 4 in Hebrews. The whole thing is great, but 2, 3, 4 is it's some of my favorite stuff. I, I, I love this picture of Jesus as our high priest. It says here in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that's you and me, in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I don't know how you feel when you're tempted. I, I, I don't like feeling tempted. It, it, it kind of stinks. I, when I think about Jesus being tempted and when I hear people talk about Jesus being tempted, sometimes I get the feeling that they think it was not such a big deal. Like he just sort of coasted through it. You know, Teflon man, nothing sticks. But the scripture says he, he suffered. He was tempted in the things that, which he had suffered was not an easy deal. If it was easy, he wouldn't be able to relate to us because we don't experience it as easy. So he got the real deal. In fact, in some ways, he may have suffered more than we do with his temptation, not because he was weaker, but because he was more holy. Let's look at Hebrews 4 for a second. Hebrews 4 14 through 16, continuing this theme of Jesus as our high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in time of need. He gets us and he knows what it's like to suffer and to be tempted. And because of that, he is a paracletos, a helper, comforter, advocate who totally gets what it's like. And, he, and therefore, we have that wonderful mix of yes, he represents God's holiness and yes, he is going to not take sin lightly, but he is also gonna bring compassion to us and, and, and be sympathetic to our situation. Isn't that exactly who you want to go to when you're in trouble? Somebody who gets you and somebody who sympathizes with you? Somebody who can be compassionate? That is the God who is with us. That is the Paracletos who has been called alongside of us. He is our high priest who completely gets us no matter what you're going through. So in the beginning of the message I said that we're not comfortable and that Paul and the early Christians were not comfortable. In these passages, we see that Jesus was not comfortable. Made like us in every way. What amazing condescension. How does the creator of the universe make himself like his creatures in every way? (laughs) It's just mind-blowing. But he did that to become our great high priest, to bring us to God so that we could be reconciled. I don't know about you, that to me, that is a comfort. No matter what I'm going through, to know that God is with me, he is present, he is engaged, he is purposeful, he is loving, and he's also sympathetic to my condition. That's perfect. I I don't know how you get anybody who's better to be with, no matter what you're going through. Now this is all pretty amazing stuff, and yet as believers, you and I both know, we all know, that we don't always feel this comfort. It's not that anything's different about God. He's still the same Paracletos he's always been. He doesn't change. So how do we miss it? How is it that sometimes we're tuned into this and sometimes we just, you know, flies right over our head? There's a lot of different ways that we miss this. I'm just gonna mention a few of them really quickly. Maybe, maybe we slip into thinking that it's unfair that we have to go through what we're going through. Instead of remembering the sovereignty of God and how he works good things out of bad things. You know how this goes. We, 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 we slip into expecting that our lives should be smooth. My car should start every time I turn the key. People should always understand what I'm saying and treat me with respect. Things should generally work out. Illnesses, if I get sick, then it ought to be treatable. And when I get well, I should get well as though there's no real after effects. We slip into this. And then when our expectations are dashed, well, we feel indignant. Sometimes we get angry with others. Sometimes we get angry at God. The antidote here is to remember that God is not just present, but he is the one who works through that adversity. He is sovereign, and the stuff that's happening to you is stuff that he is aware of, and that he is engaged with, and he is working with. 
It's hard to remember in the moment. I, I was like un, unboxing a, lamp, a new light for my bathroom last night. And the, they wrapped it with all of this tape. And, and I was struggling with the tape. And while I'm struggling with the tape, one of the globes falls out, hits the hardwood floor, and shatters. I was thinking, okay. Oh, well, that wasn't what I first said. But uh, anyway, um, even in little moments like that, what, what do I want to do with that moment? I could get angry, and I could, I could blame the people who taped it up in some foreign country. That wouldn't do any good. I could have hung on to it, and I could have you know, berated myself for not having you know, been more MacGyverish in my opening of the box. But none of that would have helped. But I actually had this thought eventually, it's probably because I was preparing the sermon, that that was no surprise to God. He knew that was going to happen. What does he want to do with it? And it, what it did was it put the thing back in perspective. It's a lamp. Came out of a cardboard box. Like they, they got more at the store. It's not that big. It's not that big. And the fact that my life does not always go smooth does not mean something's wrong. None of our lives go always smooth. <laughs> you know, so even though my car does start pretty much every morning, I need to remember that our lives here are transient. We're just here for a while. And while we're here, stuff's not always going to go the way we want it to go. But we can get stuck on those expectations that everything should be good. And when we do, we can sort of lose the comfort of God by slipping into those unrealistic expectations. Maybe we miss out on the comfort of God because we cling to our anger at someone who has hurt us instead of moving into the freedom that comes from forgiveness. You all know how easy this is because we're human and we, we hurt each other sometimes. Sometimes by accident and sometimes by malice. And if we get stuck with that, if we nurse that, if we rehearse that in our mind a million times, what are you full of? You're full of turmoil. You're full of anger. Your hurt never really gets healed. And it's hard to receive the comfort of God when you are bitter at other people. Don't miss the comfort that the Paracletos would want to give you about whatever your hurt is by wasting all that energy hating somebody else who maybe was the instrument of that hurt. Maybe we miss out on the comfort of God because we forget that these troubles are temporary and that they're not really, that we're just passing through. And yeah, it's not going to be easy, but it really is that transient. And what we're headed for is so amazing. Paul references this uh, again in 2 Corinthians, interestingly, when he says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. And for those of you who aren't 60 yet, you're going to find this out. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I want to encourage you this morning not to miss out on the comfort of God. Our Paracletos, the one who wants to come alongside to help and comfort us, take some time and meditate on how God is with us always, whether we feel it or not. Remember that his intentions towards us are always loving because he loves us with the greatest love. And remember that we're only gonna be here a little while and that what we're headed for is so amazing that everything we're going through now is gonna seem like Paul described it, light and momentary. Stand with me while I close us uh, with a passage from 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Amen. Go in the the peace and comfort of God today.